0: For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Revelation chapter 19, verse 7. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear you this morning. And you would... Give us grace to our wills and our hearts to receive your word and to follow it, and that you would bless my words to be useful for your purposes. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, So weddings have been a familiar, uh, recurring theme for me lately. Got to be a part of the uh, Lewick wedding yesterday. Scott and Elizabeth's second daughter got married, um, and I got to be part of a wedding in Uganda and uh, that was a great joy and it's wonderful to see that it's this universal feature of human life together that a wedding is an instinctive cause for rejoicing and there's something about it that as opposed there's something about a wedding that where all of the real sort of strains and difficulties and labors of marriage they kind of fade into the background and you can kind of see marriage for like what it is in its purest essence and what it can be and what it's called to be to coming together in oneness and rejoicing. And weddings, um, I think the reason we ha- there is this sort of um, instinctive natural response to throw a party when there's a wedding, whether it's in Uganda or down um, just south of Opelika, is because a wedding is a picture of the gospel. And we see it layered, just woven throughout all of the scriptures, right? Page two of the Bible. Adam and Eve coming together as one flesh. In the very middle of the Bible, the Song of Songs, which the church has always interpreted first and foremost as a a metaphoric picture of the love that God has for his people. The prophet Hosea called to marry a prostitute to be a living parable of God's faithfulness to us even when we are unfaithful to him. He's using marriage as a teaching tool. Isaiah, the crowning passages of Isaiah in the latter chapters, the people of God are described as a bride decked out and ready for the wedding ceremony. Think how many of Jesus' parables utilize the image of a wedding feast. And then, you know, one of the sort of climax of one of Paul's great letters, Ephesians, right? You know, I'm talking about Christ and his church with the picture of a marriage. And then here at the very end of the Bible, Revelation we get this picture of, we just heard it read. I want to flip to it, actually. So I've got all the verses ahead of me. Here you go. The marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. Picture. And then, "Blessed, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So to fully catch the meaning of why, what is God trying to tell us in using this as really the cardinal picture of His relationship to us. Because even the image of one body, right, which is the other chief image in the New Testament of our relationship to God in Christ. He is the head with the body. Oneness of flesh actually derives from marriage. Marriage is the cardinal picture. To fully catch the meaning, it's worth sort of thinking through all of the elements of a wedding which were maybe a a little bit more drawn out and clear in olden times than today, but are still all there today to tease it out. So first there's the betrothal. And we actually still do this today. It's not engagement. That's sort of like pre-betrothal. <laughs> the betrothal happens in our culture five minutes before the actual wedding, right? That very first part of the service where you say, who, um, will you have this woman to, to be your wife? Uh, I will. And who gives this woman to be married to this man? That's the betrothal. We've sort of annexed it into the ceremony. That used to happen like months ahead of time. Um, so there's a betrothal. There's preparation, right? getting ready for the wedding day. Then there's a ceremony with vows, and then there's feasting, and then, and then the consummation of the marriage. That's sort of the full picture of what it means to, for a wedding to get married. So each of these, I think, the fact that marriage is so cardinally placed as a picture for us of the Christian life, each of these details has a meaning that also interprets for us the Christian life. Betrothal is coming to faith. St. Paul actually uses it in this way when he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He writes, I betrothed you, Corinthian Christians, to one husband. And Paul says that his mission, his calling from God was to preach the gospel to inspire faith. That he was working for faith. Coming to faith, believing the gospel. Believing that Jesus really did live, really did die, really did die for you and for me and for our sins and really was raised. When, that, when the Holy Spirit gives grace and that clicks in the heart and there's faith, you're betrothed. The, the wedding is, process has begun. And then there's the preparation. And both groom and bride prepare themselves. Jesus, figured by the bridegroom, says in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. right? Talking about his ascension up to heaven. I go to prepare a place for you. And then the bride you know, it's amazing how Scripture can solve in like five words what theologians take books and books and books to write about and never agree. Did you catch the, the, the sort of carefulness of this? The, the, the profound divine wisdom of it? It was granted to the bride, right? So granted meaning a gift given. Granted to clothe herself with fine linen. And it says the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. It was granted to us, to clothe ourselves with the deeds of faith. Right? It's, we see in sort of a picture form, without your salvation, that God is working in you. There's this preparation, this response to faith, this outworking of faith. Clothing ourselves, getting the wedding dress tailored the right size, getting the tux to fit right. The righteous deeds of the saints in this life. We too have a ceremony at the center of Christian life, and that's Baptism. And it comes with vows, right? We don't, in a wedding, you vow your substance to, the, to your spouse. At a baptism, you vow your substance to God. We, we see it here when we do baptisms, when we renew our baptismal vows and at confirmations, where those who were baptized as children and the vows were made for them get to profess with their own lips. I am God's. We saw, what We got when we baptized Harrison Warren, they, they stood up here and they said, I, I reject the devil. I I choose not to follow the world and the flesh. I choose God. That's a vow, a commitment. And then we have feasting, right? We have feasting. We have a table set up in our church for feasting. And this is actually new to me for this week in preparing for the Scriptures. I think my whole life as a Christian, at some point I must have been instructed that heaven is like a marriage supper. Maybe you've received similar instruction. Paying attention to this text, I'm convinced that's not the best interpretation. When it says there's this shift in tone, right? Verse nine, and the angel said to me, write this, meaning like send this to the church right now. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. Who's invited to the marriage supper? Not the bride herself, the guests, right? There's a sort of layer of distance from actually getting married if you're just sort of at the supper, right? If you're a guest at a wedding. I think the best interpretation, which has just um, evolved a little bit for me in, in thinking on this passage this week, is that the marriage supper of the Lamb isn't heaven. This Holy Communion is the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is where we actually get to participate in the feasting and the joy that we have been betrothed and our actually, that Christ is spiritually our bridegroom as the church. And if, so if the marriage marriage supper is in heaven, what's heaven? I think that maps onto the consummation of marriage, the honeymoon. And if that makes you blush a bit, and it does make me blush a bit, I think it's because we don't allow our knowledge of God and his love and his goodness to sort of shine its light into our imaginal bedroom space. The Bible doesn't blush about it. Heaven is the consummation of marriage in this spiritual metaphor. Now the the merciful news of the gospel is really given to us in a figure under the old covenant with Hosea and Gomer. But in this marriage, the spiritual marriage, the spiritual vowing, this connection to Christ, our bridegroom, we aren't faithful. We wander away spiritually. And I think we it's a shallow understanding to think about sin and, and breaking God's laws as, like, as if we've broken the rules of a schoolmaster. Like, oh, well, you broke school rule number 75B, right? No, it's an infidelity. That's how we should rightly conceive of it. It's an, it's an unfaithfulness to our heavenly bridegroom who loves us. It's wandering into some other relationship with the world, the flesh, and the devil rather than being true to our heavenly spouse. In this mortal life, that means a certain disaster, and there's very rarely turning back from it. In the mercy of God, Jesus himself has received the just punishment for our infidelity. That was what his death accomplished. He actually prepaid, as it were, full knowing that his spouse that he gave his life for would not be faithful. But he wanted us so much to be with him forever he ransomed us, even from that infidelity, even from our present infidelity, that he could always be with us with justice and mercy. He received that punishment by his mercy, because he's given us the gift of repentance, like faithful Hosea, as a picture of Christ, a little foretelling. When we come to him with repentance, he always receives us back as his sort of broken and unfaithful spouse he receives us back and not with shame and scolding and go sleep on the couch but with unending love and actual continual invitation keep feasting at the marriage supper keep trusting in his goodness and then ultimately one of the great things that the theologians teased out over the centuries is that in heaven it will be impossible to sin I think we've got to be scholars in here uh, non, pos- non posse peccatore not possible to sin that we'll be forever one with our heavenly bridegroom never to wander again but to delight in permanent consummated joy and union forever and ever that's why we as people get excited about weddings is because of our longing for the fulfillment of the gospel Amen.